All right, so we're going to talk about diaspora this morning. Diaspora, it's an interesting topic, and actually it's an interesting word, diaspora. I say diaspora. Sometimes people say diaspora. Sometimes people say diaspora. And sometimes people say diaspora. So however you say it, that's what we're talking about. And when I talk to people about uh, diaspora, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, the diaspora of the Jews, right? After AD 70, the destruction of the temple, the Jewish people were dispersed. And so we think about diaspora in terms of the Jewish people. I recently uh, talked to a, a, a minister, and I mentioned diaspora, and right away she said, oh, the Jewish people. But actually, I want to talk diaspora more broadly. And let me give you an example. I was at the church planting uh, congress in Montreal two weeks ago. And at the end of that, I went to my cousin's house in Montreal. And uh, that Sunday, they welcomed me to come to their church, Wesley United Church. So I gladly joined them. Uh, my cousin-in-law, Stephanie, I guess, I went with her and, and her daughter, LOD. And uh, we came into the service. And what was amazing was there were 17 Iranians being baptized. So that's appropriate on a baptism Sunday to talk about that. Um, there was one child also baptized. And then there was one who was, I believe, an Ar Armenian believer. And so she was confirmed into the church. She was already baptized. So isn't that amazing? Uh, it was tremendous. And they had a bit of a two-step process in the United Church. They had a baptism and then they had confirmation. But it was truly uh, a celebration because that was a church of 25 people. Uh, originally, uh, like in the last few years, mostly gray hairs, and now it was it had grown to 100. So truly amazing what God is doing in the world today. And so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about diaspora. And I think that as a church, we need to talk about it so we become more familiar with it. Um, as you know, I've been working mainly with a focus on Muslims, but I think it's time that we need to think more broadly in terms of diaspora, including... Muslims and other people groups who are coming. 244 million people in the world today are in the diaspora. And the church, it's critical that the church focuses on this particular group of people. Refugees make up around 26 million. There's about 60 million that are displaced. And oftentimes it's due to conflict, persecution. And what we're seeing is uh, many cases people are internally displaced. For example, Going back to my old context of Mali, West Africa, working among the Fulani people now, many Fulani people due to ethnic strife and conflict in Mali are now internally displaced and living on top of a garbage dump in Bamako, the capital city. So increasingly we're seeing the world changing in this way. And it's important that we as the church today recognize these new realities. And I think we all know that many of those people are also settling in our country of Canada. And they're settling here because we have freedoms, right, that are guaranteed and that were fought for. So perhaps that's a good Remembrance Day note as well. That why are people coming to Canada? Because of those freedoms that we enjoy as a society here. So let's talk about diaspora. So I want to talk about uh, my first point, diaspora, in two senses. And the first sense is a geographical sense, because all of us here today, unless you are indigenous or first nation, are in our diaspora, right? We've all come from some place in the world to Canada. Many people in the Christian Reformed Church came from the Netherlands. Uh, that's part of our history. But we also have many churches now that are Korean, 
Latino, African-American, all with different stories of immigration. When I served as a pastor in Alberta, I heard many stories of people coming from the Netherlands after the war. They went to southern Alberta to work in the beet fields, sugar beets. Uh, they'd spend long days uh, hoeing beets. And then in the winter, sometimes they would even go and work in the sawmills in Smithers. So they made a life in this country, but it wasn't easy. They told me that sometimes when they got to the train station, the farmer would be there with a tractor, and they would all be perched with their bags on the back of a tractor as they were taken back to the farm, the host farm. And sometimes they were housed in chicken shacks. It wasn't easy, but they persevered. My own family came from Scotland in 1845, and I have my Sinclair tartan in the back there. I wore it today. Uh, as I was thinking about diaspora, and they immigrated to the Owen Sound area of Ontario. So we are a group of people who are diaspora, and I think the first reason that we uh, recognize this is because traditionally there is always tension between the settled and the nomadic. Even in West Africa, among the Fulani, the townspeople were always a little bit suspicious of those nomadic Fulani who would periodically come into their region. So we have to recognize that we are all diaspora. And then there's a spiritual sense, right? We heard that in our passage from 1 Peter this morning, the spiritual sense of being diaspora. And that is because as we read this passage, particularly the first part, I mean, the whole uh, letter of, of 1 and 2 Peter, the letters are about being diaspora, but Peter starts off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So there is the word in the Greek, scattered, in the NIV is diaspora, or diaspora. Dia being through or by, and spora being seed. Right. So there's that idea of like seeds being scattered and sown into the world. So Peter is talking to the people of God who are diaspora. God elects strangers in the world. And Douglas Harink in his uh, commentary on First and Second Peter says, or calls this Peter's normative description of the church. This is the church. God's elect strangers in the world and scattered. This is our identity as God's people. So as we think about that, let's just unpack that for a minute. Firstly, we are God's people. We are his elect. And so that means that the church is constituted by God, right? Because we are chosen by him. He is our God. He is sovereign. He has chosen us as his people. And how often do we think about that truth, right? That we are chosen. We don't often stop and think, do we? What a privilege that is to be part of God's covenant people chosen by him. It's very important that we remember our identity in Christ is chosen. But also, not only chosen or elect, but also scattered, much like Abraham, the wandering Aramean, and Israel, who was founded in God's love. Right? And we are the church today, the, the Israel of God, according to Galatians 6. And that means we are, secondly, set apart for God's purpose. God chose us for a reason. 
God set us apart for a reason, just like he set Israel apart for a reason. And that means our true identity, our true citizenship, is in God's kingdom. That's what it means to be chosen of God and his church today. We are God's citizens, citizens of the kingdom, and our true home is the new Jerusalem. That's where we're headed, right? That's our eschatological telos. We are headed there. And that then goes against any nationalistic or populistic uh, narrative because this is not where our hope is. We give thanks for Canada, especially on Remembrance Day. But we remember ultimately our citizenship is in the kingdom, in heaven. So we always have to keep that in mind. However, we also have to be careful that we don't feed into um, a narrative that says, well, if that's the case, this place doesn't matter. Right? We have to have a strong theology of place as well. Uh, according to, to Haring, he says, lest we fall into a Gnostic worldview, right? That this physical creation is bad and we're just waiting for some kind of spiritual escape, right? Take me home, Lord. I'm done, right? That's not the thinking that we should have. You know, we need to have a holistic, the gospel is very wide. The gospel is about restoration and justice and peace. And so that pulls us away from all the messages and the, you know, the, the narratives of our society today that are constantly tempting us to put our security in materialism, to put our security in borders, to put our security in consumerism. That's not the kingdom narrative. We have to see the bigger picture. And as my seminary professors often said, we have to have a bigger view of the gospel. And then thirdly, and this kind of completes the picture from, uh, from First Peter and also um, Arink's uh, translation, sown abroad, that's what he, how does it he translates diaspora, sown abroad, that we have to remember that we are like in the parable of the sower, right? Jesus is, is sowing us, his seeds, in the world. And some of that seed is falling on good soil and producing abundance. And so we have to keep that image of, in mind as his people. As we hear these words, he was writing to believers in his time, but he's also writing to us because we also have been chosen, elect, sanctified by the Holy Spirit through God's electing power. We are part of that suffering of Jesus Christ in the world today. And we continue that into the future. And we've been saved for a purpose. And Jeremiah 29 reminds us that is when the Israelites were sent into exile, when they were strangers in a land, the prophet said, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. So we continue to live that out in our communities. It's God's message for Israel. It's God's message for us. We seek peace and prosperity of our community here. We seek its well-being. And in that doing, we also welcome all who come into our communities. 
And we push against. We have to have kingdom thinking because worldly thinking is scarcity, right? There's not enough for all of us, so we have to protect what we have. We have to put up walls and borders. But kingdom thinking, and remember we are citizens of the kingdom, is that there is an abundance because God is a God of abundance. There will be enough if we trust in God and live for his kingdom. The Lord reigns. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The cattle on a thousand hills are his, says the scriptures. So it's very important that we keep this kingdom mentality as God's people today against the pressures that push against it, especially those nationalistic voices, populist voices in the world. And not only do we welcome, but we also seek reconciliation. We seek healing because many, we know with these Iranians, um, I, you know, I, I, it was wonderful to see them, but I also, I wondered how is it going to be for them? Because um, they were, they had a translator in translating Farsi and they were doing the whole service, and it was beautiful, and they had candles. Uh, they were all holding candles that were lit as new believers. But then at one point, the minister didn't want to get, get you know, she, you know, they, in the United Church, the ministers wear these big robes. And I don't think she wanted to get caught on fire. So she said, everybody step back. Nobody understood her. I was amazed. Nobody understood her. So I thought, oh, their comprehension is, is low, right? They need some English as second language training. Uh, but how fragile they are. And also many Iranians, particularly, the, the Iranian church is the fastest growing church in the world, population-wise. I think the Chinese church is faster, but population-wise, the Iranian church is the fastest growing church. These people need discipleship. Right? They come from a uh, repressive, oppressive uh, regime and culture. They have no Christian discipleship, no history. We have such a history of discipleship. Uh, even in the witnessing the baptism this morning, you hear the truths again, the covenant renewed again and again, generation after generation, and they don't have that. It's what they need, right? As, a, as an emerging and very young church with a lot of conflict because of it. And so we have to keep these things in mind. And Vir Miroslav Volf, who has written a lot about uh, reconciliation, if you've read any of his work, particularly coming from his context in the Balkan states, um, he says, you know, so often people, when they've experienced conflict, they take a protective stance. Do you know what I mean by that? A protective stance like this, right? trying to protect themselves. Sometimes we do that when we feel uncomfortable. But he says, you know, in the dance of reconciliation, we need to open our arms and welcome people into that dance of reconciliation. And I think as God's people, God's kingdom, people, God's chosen and elect is what God is calling us to do today. It's to open our arms in that dance and embrace our friends who have been through trauma, who have been through difficult times. And we close in an embrace. But then Miroslav Volf also says it's important that we don't just close, but we also open again so that process can continue again. And again. And so let me then now shift a little bit more into uh, God's purpose in this, in terms of what is God calling his church, and particularly the Christian Reformed Church, to do today in terms of the diaspora. And I'm on a working group currently. Sometimes they, they create these working groups, and you've got this really intense process, and you have to come up with recommendations, and they say you've got about three months, so you work like crazy, and you just hope and pray that you will actually come up with something good. Of course, 
we have God helping us and the Holy Spirit's working. So, but anyways, that's what we're doing right now at Resonate Global Mission as we struggle with this new reality of diaspora and, and how we can shift that paradigm. Because traditionally, and I want to be careful what I say here, we continue to be this kind of an agency was our traditional model was sending, right? We would choose our sons and daughters from our congregations who felt called to go. We would send them out into the world. And again, I want to emphasize that we continue to do that as a mission agency. But increasingly, we're also realizing that so many people are coming here, right? That we have new opportunities in the diaspora. And I think part of that as well is realizing too that we have to be very keep careful as we send people out because now many national churches and local indigenous leaders can do the ministry. So we have to, when we do send out, we have to very much come alongside, right, and build up those local churches and make sure that we don't carry forward any sort of colonial, you know, thinking from the past. But I can't help but think what tremendous potential we have. Uh, we were at uh, Bruce Peninsula National Park. If you've ever been there, that was our first time this summer. And we went to something called Singing Sands. That strikes bell with anyone. Singing Sands was completely covered with water. Uh, the, the, the lake is very high this year. But uh, on the other hand, it was lovely because the water was warm, right? Because it was shallow. You could walk way out on the nice sand. But anyways, my point with Singing Sands is that while we were there, about 30 uh, Muslim men came. Well, maybe 30 is a bit much. Maybe it was 20. Anyways, it was a large group. It felt like a large group in that barbecue area in front of the beach. And they started to barbecue, and uh, they did their prayers up on top. There's kind of a washroom rest area there. And I think it was because it was Eid al-Adha. That's the festival of Abraham, and Muslims would say Ishmael, uh, and the sacrifice. And um, it was just interesting because I'd never seen that before, a group of Muslims coming and and eating together. And in some ways, they kind of took over the space. I was interested, but it could be a little overwhelming. I admit that. Uh, it's different, right? It's a change. And then uh, this summer, another time, we went to Dundas Driving Park. We discovered that that's a great place to take our grandkids because they have some splash pad and they have some nice uh, picnic areas and you can barbecue. Again, though, I noticed that there were more Muslims in Dundas Driving Park than non-Muslims just from the way they were barbecuing and from the hijabs. And that, so just my observation. And I thought, interesting how our society is changing, right? And sometimes it can be overwhelming, except when we remember that we are all diaspora, right? And that the world is always changing and that God is always with his people in those changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. And so we can approach these kinds of changes, you know, with an open mind and with open heart. And knowing that God is at work because he is sovereign. He has chosen us for a purpose and he is sovereign in his work. And that's why I wanted to include the, uh, the Acts um, passage. Because when you look at the Acts passage, you realize that God is sovereign in all ways. And in all people groups. So if you take a look at that passage in Acts 17, 24, it talks about the God who made the world and everything in it. That reminds me of Psalm 24 that we started with. The Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. 
and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. One, one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And here's the important part. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, men and women would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And then in a little bit of contextual, cross sort of cultural, contextual ministry, Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So that tells me that God is sovereign, and he's sovereign in two ways. First of all, he's placed you here. He has placed every one of you here for a purpose in his plan. And then he has brought people here also in his plan. He's moving the peoples around the world in his plan. This is not by accident. We don't seek after wars and conflict, but we know that God can bring good out of these terrible situations and that he is actively at work so that people would, what does it say? So that people would perhaps reach out for him and find him because he is not far from each of us. He's close. One of the last speakers at the uh, uh, Church Planning Canada conference was a fellow named Daniel Yang, who works for something called Send Institute. I won't go into that, but here's what I thought was interesting. He's a Hmong believer, right, from Laos. And he said that his family suffered greatly because while the Vietnam War was going on, there was this secret war in Laos that really didn't come into the media. There was tremendous, uh, terrible atrocities that happened in Laos. And he said his own father lost a sister and some other family members in this war. And so he came to, their family immigrated to the United States, to the Detroit area. And eventually Daniel Yang moved to Toronto to plant a church. And uh, he showed us a picture. This was one of the last presentations at the conference. And he showed us a picture of the church plant in Toronto. And he said, uh, way at the back were his parents. They, could, they had come up from Detroit to be a part of this launch, launching service of the church plant in, in Toronto. And he's, he looked and he, um, he said, my parents are there, he said. Well, we were all looking. We couldn't really see them, but they were, they were in there somewhere. And he said, you know, maybe God, you know, this is going to make me emotional. Maybe God, even in the midst of those terrible things that happened in that war, was at work so that my family would come to the United States and that I would plant a church in Toronto. Just think about that, right? And that's the way God is working today. God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. And so as his church, we're really trying to catch up, catch up to what God is doing and, uh, and be ready. Right? One of the things that Daniel Yang said was, he said, people, you know, there, there's been this thing called a decline narrative. And that is sometimes we can be discouraged because we hear all these messages. The church is declining in numbers. The nuns, you know what I mean, N-O-N-E-S, are increasing. There, it's a decline narrative, right? He said, as a Hmong believer, I don't see that. I don't see that decline. For me, the church is all growth. Uh, and so it was a very encouraging message. But he did say that as mission leaders, church leaders, be intentional about being multicultural, multi-ethnic, invite people into your leadership from uh, ethnic minority groups. You know, don't shut them out because maybe you're not sure about cultural things or invite them in and continue to grow as a, a multicultural church because we can do that now, right? We have the new opportunities. 
So my last point, uh, I thought it would, I would just call it carpe diem, carpe diem, you know the phrase, right? Seize the day. So what we need to do, we need to seize the day. Uh, we, need to, we need to get ready and, and be prepared for this change and be at the forefront, not lagging behind as we so often are. So I want to leave you now as I close with, what do I have here? Five points, five concluding short points to take away with you. First of all, the diaspora missiologist Sadari Joy Tira at the University of Alberta says there is no difference in priority between reaching out to Kazakhs and Thais in Calgary or Somalis in Minnesota and Khmer in Long Beach and reaching out to them in their countries of origin. Right? There's no difference. So even though we continue to send people to those places where, where needed, we have tremendous opportunities here. That's his point. And then second, like Daniel Yang said, God is sending us many gifted leaders. You know, I had a colleague, Joel Hogan, with World Missions, and he retired. But he always said the United, the United States is now receiving more missionaries than sending. Isn't that something? Receiving more than sending. How can we equip those leaders into ministry? How can we help them integrate into the Christian Reformed Church? How can we take down some of those barriers that exist that keep them out? Fourth, sorry, third. Um, yes, third, I already said third. Build up those multi-ethnic teams. Let's make space for visibly ethnic minor, minority leaders at the table. And let's welcome them with accommodation and grace that might be uncomfortable sometimes because of language issues, cultural issues, different things. Let's be open. And let's be open because we are diaspora ourselves, right? We've all come from somewhere else. Uh, fourth, now we can go on to fourth. Church planting needs to be an important priority. It's been 10 years, more than 10 years, that this class has planted a church. And back uh, more than 10 years ago, Mosaic in Burlington, New Hope in Hamilton. It's been more than 10 years we have not planted a church. And we all know that church plants are, are difficult, they're risky, but we also know there are wonderful ways to invite people into God's church because they're small, community, can sometimes be a little more innovative, right? So we need church plants in this classes. And then five, and I'll end with this one. That's, and this is a message for all the diaspora. We have to remember, too, that we are diaspora, that we are chosen in Christ. It's our identity. The world is changing, but our identity stays the same, right? Because we are chosen. What does it mean? We remember that in the baptism this morning. Because we are chosen, that's a rock-solid promise of God. We are his people. But I think very clearly from Acts 17, that choosing, that election, that scattering is for a purpose. And that purpose is missional. Because why else would it say God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him? That's a missional purpose, right? God has saved you for a purpose as his church today. So we need to hold on to that and remember that with that tremendous blessing that comes with being God's people is also the purpose to make the name of Jesus known in the world today so that the name of Jesus would be praised and honored. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Father, thank you for the way that you're working in the world today. Sometimes it's confusing. Uh, we know that. Sometimes we don't understand what's happening in the world. Sometimes the things going on to the world can even drive us into despair. 
Father, you are a faithful God who has chosen us as your people to be your church today in this place. And our, even, even though, Lord, we, um, we, we struggle as, as the people in the time of Peter too struggle, the believers that he was writing to, Lord, we know that you are with us in everything. And we know that we are citizens of your kingdom. Yes, we are citizens of Canada, and we thank you for this country. We pray for this country. We pray for our leaders. We thank you for all those veterans. So many have passed away, but we thank you for those veterans still with us who fought for our country and for our freedoms. But help us also remember that we are citizens of your kingdom first, that our allegiance is to King Jesus first. And then help us, Lord from that standpoint, to be your church today in the community, lifting up the name of Jesus, sharing the good news, planting churches, bringing uh, others into our fellowship, into our leadership, through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.